Pulp MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I wanna say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome to the Industry Seating Podcast. My name is Jason Thomas, and I am your host. And I'm the only host because it's just me on this podcast. We're now into the month of May. It's May 1st, and if you can hear a little pep in my step, a little pep in my voice, it's because I'm actually home. I've been gone for uh, nearly two weeks. Got to fly home after the Denver Supercross last night. It's very exciting. I got to sleep in my own bed. And uh, just the little things, people. Just happy to be here, and it's going to be a... A hell of a busy summer for me. You know, we still have one more round of Monster Energy Supercross. Then I'm going over to Spain to test the uh, Stark Varge bike the next weekend. That rolls right into our uh, Western Power Sports sales meeting. And then we start Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, which I will be your pit reporter for MAV TV. So that's a pretty exciting development. Very nervous about it. And uh, I'm sure that I'm going to be underwhelming and I have a lot of doubts on my end, but I'm going to do the best job I can. So more than anything, I'm just uh, very excited for that opportunity, and I I want to do the best job I can. Before we jump into what we saw in Denver, let's thank the sponsors of this podcast because I would not be doing this without them. Pirelli Tires, Plum Creek Funding, Guts Racing. I actually got to see Andy Gregg, owner of Guts Racing, on Saturday, so that was cool. Thanks, Andy, for all your support over the years. Fast Foundry, Works Connection, Eric Phipps. I will get to see him at Hangtown, which is the second round of Lucas Oil Promoter Cross. Pro Glow Wash, uh, Ryan Humphrey and the crew over there at Pro Action Fluids. Thank you to them for being on board. Grant Stone Boots, thank you to Wyatt Gilmore and the crew there for being on this from the very beginning. And of course, Fly Racing, which I will be back in the office tomorrow and have about 12 million things to do. But that's okay. Did I mention Fast Foundry? I want to make sure I, want, I mention Fast Foundry too, Robert Carrico and the crew. I'll have a little bit more info, a little bit more information on all of those great sponsors. And let me mute my computer there. I apologize for that. Very professional podcast we have going here, as you can tell. But Denver was uh, it was something, man. For those of you who weren't there, you know, you probably logged in and watched on you know Peacock app or whatever. It wasn't always that dusty throughout the day. Uh, it was actually really nice in the morning. A little chilly. Right? Let's be fair. You know, you needed coffee in your hand because it was cold sitting in the stands in the morning. But once the sun, you know, got out and broke over the, the stadium horizon and got, bikes got on the track, it was actually a beautiful day to be, uh, to be at a Supercross race. And, and I am a huge fan of Denver. Let me just start there. Um, I just think it's a, a great city. Lots to do. It's very outdoorsy. You know, the weather for spring, summer, and fall is, is amazing. So I was happy to be there. Like I, was, I was genuinely enjoying the day, even though I think everybody's pretty burnt out with Supercross right now. I was, I was still happy to be there. Uh, but my point was that the track was actually great in the morning. 
and sometime between, let's say, 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., or maybe even earlier, maybe 10, 10 a.m. and 12.30 p.m., they didn't water the track enough. That's the most simple terms I can put it into. Uh, I don't know what the process was. I don't know if they planned on watering before the track work or after the track work or during the track work, but I can tell you firsthand being on the, on, down on the stadium floor, they didn't water the track enough. And what you saw was the repercussions of just missing a window because on a track like that, and it doesn't have to be Denver. It could be Salt Lake next week. It could be Anaheim. It could be San Diego. Any of these arid climate tracks that could be windy, you know, that the wind on Friday was certainly a factor and, and drying the dirt out, which they were chasing it the rest of the weekend. But you really have to stay on top of it and you can't stop watering. You just have to continue to water and continue to water and you're just trying to maintain the moisture in it, right? You could even go a little bit too heavy because it will come back to you really fast. Like if you go too heavy with the water, don't worry because it's going to dry it's going to dry really quickly. So you almost have to be heavy-handed with that, you know, the water hose and and the amount. If you go too light at any point throughout the day, you lose it and you genuinely can't get it back. You just can't. And you can go try to rework the track or whatever, but I'm not smart enough with dirt, you know, I'm sure there was someone that could tell me the 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 science behind why you just can't get the moisture back into it. But it's like once it's gone and it hardens up, it's done. And just putting water on it at that point just turns it into like ice, you know, that it just sits on the top of it and you can't get it to break, you know, stay inside the dirt, like deep down where it stays tacky. And that's what we saw. It just went away from them. And by opening, you know, by the first heat race, it was already done. It was already dry and it was game over. The wind picked up and, and we were, uh, we were in for a hell of a dusty afternoon. The dust flying around the stadium floor was unbelievable. Um, it truly was something. Like I, I must have wiped my sunglasses off, I don't know, 30 times just trying to be able to see because the wind was whipping around there so bad. It happens, man. Um, overall, the track design wasn't that great either. It was really straightforward. It was one of the least creative designs of the season. That's not, it, it's not a condemnation. It's just That's just facts. It was just a very straightforward design. There wasn't a lot of thought put into it. There weren't many options. You know, the, the, the rhythm lanes were very, you know, kind of cookie cutter, like you needed to do them a certain way. And that was all you were going to be able to do. No matter what your skill level was, you just were kind of walked into a certain way around the racetrack. And I, I noticed that on Tuesday when I started riding my staging area column for Racer X Online, it was just going to be that way. You could not find a better way to go through certain sections. There was one option and guys that could barely make the night show would probably be able to do the same thing that Jason Anderson was doing out front. Now the 250 class, Hunter is solid, right? He's not going to be your champion in my opinion. You know, I think Christian Craig gets this thing done in Salt Lake, but he has been so much better in 2022 than we've ever seen him. And kudos to him. You can see the hard work he's put in. There has been a lot of improvement in his game from consistency to speed to starts, the whole package, you know? And if you want to look back and say, why did he not win this championship or why was he not relevant at the last round as far as like having a real chance? Because in my opinion, if we're 18 points down going into the final round of like a nine race championship, you weren't that relevant going into the last round, right? I hate that word relevant. It's probably not the right one, but 
I think everybody agrees that there's a very, very high probability that Christian Craig is your champion. If you want to know why, it's just because of A3 and a couple other mistakes that Hunter made. It wasn't that he was too slow. It wasn't that he wasn't fast enough most of the season. You know, it's almost identical to what Jason Anderson, the position Jason Anderson found himself in. You're riding plenty fast enough. Like you did clearly a ton of work. It was the mistakes on your bad nights that cost you. And that's super cliche. And we've talked about it a million times over the years in bench racing. But championships are often won on your bad nights. Can you minimize the damage when things don't go your way? And at A3, Hunter Lawrence couldn't do that. He DNF'd the race. He did a huge front flip in those really nasty whoops that Christian Craig had dialed. And that's it. That's the tail of the tape. If you want to make it as simple and bare bones as possible, there you go. They have the same amount of wins. I don't know if it's exactly the same. It's within one, right? So it's almost identical across the board. But when it really comes down to it at the end of the, at the, end of the season, when Christian Craig's most likely holding up that number one plate, you could look back and say, Hunter Lawrence crashed at A3. Christian Craig didn't crash at A3. And the times that Christian Craig did crash, he fought back and got back on the podium most of the damn time. Look at San Diego. Look this weekend. Mistake, does something stupid, guess what? Still gets back on the podium. That is your difference. It doesn't have to be about who's the fastest guy. That it's often that is the case, but not always. And this year, I would say that Christian Craig's still the fastest guy and he will be champion, but it's close. You know, like I think they've been pretty damn close a bunch of races this year. You know, the the harder pack tracks that didn't break down, I think you could say Christian was faster. The more difficult tracks where there was a lot of track deterioration and ruts and things, I think you could maybe say Hunter was faster. And in the end, one incident is going to make the difference. As I was kind of talking about Christian Craig's next up, I don't know that he really knew what to do in this main event. Of course, and, and bear with me, of course, yeah, need to get a good start, need to try to win, blah, blah, blah. That, that all goes without saying. But I think when he was behind Hunter, he was very uncertain of how to approach it, right? There were a couple times where he could have forced the move right after the whoops, like that weirdo kind of bank thing along the mechanics area. He chose not to. He was hesitant and pa- I, would, I would choose the word patient, which I thought was actually the right way to go about it. But I think the championship and the point situation altered his approach because I think if the points are tight there, if you flip the script or it just, you know, Anything other than Christian having a big lead. How about that? I think he goes for it right there and tries to make the pass. But when you give him a big lead, he checks up and he kind of waits around. And then he, I think he was just in this real weird, vague spot where he didn't want to force a move and let Hunter, you know, go for a takeout. But he also was kind of like, I can win. Like, I don't want to hang back here forever. So it was like this go, don't go type thing. And in the end, he makes a mistake. He jumped sideways into the sand and crashed. He still fought back for third. He rode incredibly well to get back to third. And I'll be real honest with you. I think had he gotten around Hunter and gotten like a two or three second gap where Hunter couldn't go for the takeout, I think Christian wins that race pretty easily. That, that's my honest opinion. But the simple fact was he didn't want to force a move and then I don't know what would have happened if he had gotten him there. Like, say he makes a pass. I think Hunter maybe really gets aggressive. And you could even say dirty. I, I do believe that he's willing to go there to win a championship. And, and he's been pretty forthcoming 
in his interviews. I don't know what they played on TV and not, but his in-stadium interview, he even kind of said, like, I, I would go for it, right? I, I would go for a takeout if the door was open because that's my only – that's really his only recourse right now. He doesn't have another alternative because he's dug this hole from that crash that we previously spoke about. So I think Christian was in a tough spot. I don't know, even for me, in hindsight, sitting here on the couch with no adrenaline, no pressure, no anything, I don't know what the right play was. Because if you can see the future and being patient and waiting around is going to get you a second place finish, but going for it and crashing is you're still going to get up and get third, which he was able to do. Which of those is better? I mean, of course, okay, yeah, second's better than third, blah, blah, blah. I get it. But you got to factor in that going for it, there's a chance you're going to win. That's, that's the, the variable that you're not adding in. There is the other side where things go well. You make the pass. You get out in front and you check out and you win. You, the championship's over right then, right there. But if you stay patient and you never make a move and you get second, well, the championship's still in play. Yes, you have two more points than you have right now. So you have a 20-point lead instead of an 18-point lead. But it's very unlikely that those two points come into play next, next Saturday night. So, again, I don't know. I don't have an answer for what the right play was. I could just see it in his riding that he wasn't really sure how to approach this. You know, the wheels were probably turning those, those two or three laps that he was following Hunter trying to decide what to do there. And then in the end, it kind of didn't matter. He crashed on his own. Uh, Michael Moseman, not a bad ride. It, it was okay. It wasn't flashy. You know, he crashes in the heat race, loses the front end, which I was talking with Daniel Blair about on Saturday. And it's like he, you know, we haven't seen a guy trust the front end as much as Moseman since maybe Marty Davalos. Like they lose the front all the time. Um, and, and it's just a, it's a byproduct of pushing too hard. You know, you're just think the front's going to stick everywhere. And, you know, there's a lot of time to be made up in, in breaking coming into the corners but guess what if you if you don't know where the the line is uh you know the Mendoza line that you can't cross then you're gonna end up on the ground and I I think that's what we see happen with with uh, Michael Moseman more often than than really it needs to happen guys that go faster than him don't crash as often as he does right so there's got to be some sort of happy balance that he needs to find he hasn't found it yet I'm not saying he won't ever but again look at Davos right he for years was the same deal over and over and over lose the front end pushing too hard uh Vince Freezy it was okay like I, I I'd put him in here not because of how he not because of him riding well but it was more of kind of like a blah weekend you know he had been doing really well like good starts really strong pace and there was kind of none of that this weekend the speed wasn't really there the starts weren't really there which is strange for him so I don't know what to make of that. It was just more of a weekend where he didn't make any headlines at all. No good starts, no raw speed, no aggressive riding. Uh, just kind of a strange deal. So not a bad result. It was fine. I think this has been a crazy good 2022 year for him. I would suspect wildly popular. or Wildly, popular, wildly uh, profitable was the word I was looking for there. Uh, but it just hasn't been... It wasn't, just, it wasn't that weekend for him uh, in Denver. So let's see if he can bounce back at Salt Lake at the showdown, maybe grab a whole shot and uh, end this thing on the right note. So 450 class, uh, I mean, Tomac's your champ, right? He deserved it. He has been overall your best rider throughout the year. He's been the fastest guy many times. He has seven wins. He hasn't made the key mistakes that have plagued his rivals. And much like the conversation I just went over with Christian Craig and Hunter Lawrence, you could argue 
that Jason Anderson has been as good as Tomac at mo- you know, most of these rounds. And I would agree with you. The problem is, is that Jason Anderson got taken out at Anaheim 1 by getting into it with Barsha, which you do not do. That's like rule one. Don't start shit with Barsha. And pardon my language, but uh, like, what are you doing? You know that's a, a losing dynamic. You don't do that. You also can't jump off the track like you did at Glendale, like you did at Anaheim 2, I think. You just go through Jason Anderson's races, and he's had too many crashes. He just There's been too many of them. The Daytona incident, the Arlington incident, both of those were with Mookie. Can't do that. You cannot have weekends like that when you're up against someone who is on the form that Eli Tomac has been on. It will wreck your championship. And for as much good as Anderson has done this year, it has been a fantastic season. I would argue the best he's ever ridden in his entire career it was the bad nights that are going to, it's already sealed it, right? Are, are going to keep him from being champion in 2022. Go back to 2018. He didn't do any of that. Okay. And I think he's much better in 2022 than he was in 2018, but he didn't have those bad nights. He didn't crash himself out. Even you could even argue that he shouldn't have been getting into it with Marvin Muscan. You know, remember when he's taken out Muscan at Houston and all that stuff. The difference is, you don't do it to Barsha, right? Doing it to Marvin is one thing. Doing it to Barsha is a totally different kind of animal. Like that's a different place in hell for you when you do it to Barsha because it's coming back. I don't care if it's the next lap, the next week, the next month, it's coming. Barsha is going to take you out. It's going to happen no matter what. It will be his, like his dying breath will be to take you out again if you start crap with Barsha and I thought Anderson really started out the series on the wrong foot by doing that he got a 10th at the first round that's a lot of points that's like 15 points that he gave up at the first round and maybe not 15 okay he wasn't going to catch Roxon, but I think he gets second maybe third at worst so let's say 10 points no matter what he gave up at the first round okay that's just one example when you look back over Anderson's season, and you're wondering, like, how did he dig this hole? How is he not more relevant in the championship? How is he eliminated with a round to go and almost two rounds to go when he's been this good? Well, I just laid it out for you. It's all those nights. Those nights where we were like, man, Tomac was good tonight. And it, damn, Anderson, what, it, what happened there? You know, those are the nights where the championships are decided, and you don't really realize it in the moment sometimes. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do. Like Hunter Lawrence at Anaheim 3, I was like, there goes the title. And most people, yeah, it wasn't breaking news. Like most people did as well. But a lot of times it sneaks up on you, you know? Like we didn't know how good Anderson was going to be. At Anaheim 1, when Barsha took him out, I didn't say there, there goes the championship. I didn't. But it very likely did. You know, it was a big factor in why. You know, because he was always chasing Tomac from that moment on. Like it was just always this uphill fight to deal with Tomac ever since then. So there've been a lot of things along the way. The bike issue at San Diego wasn't his fault. That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, Tomac has given back a bunch of points over the last few weeks from this knee injury that he's working through. So there is a there is give and take, but it's how bad do you do on the bad nights versus the other guys? Like if you can if your bad nights are a fifth or a sixth, you're you're generally going to be pretty damn good at the end of the year. Uh sorry, so I Got a little bit off topic there, but I mean, Anderson, as far as this round was amazing. Don't let my, 
I'm kind of telling you why he didn't win the title. I don't want that to be any sort of poo-poo on how great he has been the last few weeks. And again, this is the best he's ever ridden. I mean, it seemed effortless for him to win that main event, okay? I don't know how it would have gone with Sexton. I think that's the wild card here. You know, maybe Sexton gives him all he wants for that main event. But Sexton's crashed so often, I don't have any faith in that Sexton could go Anderson's pace for 21 minutes without a mistake. You know, he, he already crashed once and he has shown a propensity to crash and Anderson was pushing the pace so damn hard. I think he would have eventually forced Sexton into another mistake anyway. That's just, there's no way to prove that. That's just what I suspect would have happened. Uh, Mookie, I mean, second place, that's great, right? And I had been on this podcast saying that I expected Mookie to find a win, just find that open window at the end of the year, when, when Tomac's thinking championship and guys are exiting the series with injury, you know, the crashes that Sexton has been having, like all those things have played out. Like I feel great about my prediction. The one thing I didn't account for was how awesome Jason Anderson has been over the last month. I just got that wrong. I mean, Anderson has been damn near flawless and good for Anderson. That shouldn't take anything away from Mookie. Um, and, and Mookie's been dealing with that knee injury too. So that's a, that's a part of it. But Anderson has just really sucked the life out of any chance for Mookie. And uh, that's part of racing, right? You know, if Mookie wants to win, he's just got to go beat Jason Anderson. But I don't necessarily think it's been so much that Mookie hasn't been riding well. It's more that Anderson has been so damn good that he hasn't allowed Mookie that opportunity. So we have one more. We have the Salt Lake round coming up. You know, one more shot for Mookie to get it done. But I'll be honest with you, between... You know, Sexton, how great he was there last year, almost winning. And Anderson being on another hard pack, slippery track at elevation. I don't think that anybody's going to beat Anderson. I really don't. Um, I think Tomac will, he's still dealing with this knee thing. I think if anybody beats Anderson next weekend, it would be Tomac just, you know, going full send mode after the championship being over. Uh, but I just don't see Mookie getting it done, and that's a bummer. Uh, I thought he had a really good opportunity here down the stretch. Sexton I touched on, but, I mean, it's just mistake fest, right? You know, stop me if you've heard this before, but he could win half the races he's in if he could find a way to eliminate the mistakes. I do think that's a maturity thing. I do think he will work his way out of that, but until he does, he's not. You know, it's just one of those things where – you, you think someone's going to eventually figure it out, and I genuinely do. I really believe he will sort this out, but it doesn't mean he has to. Look at Trey Kennard, okay? Trey Kennard, one of the fastest guys we've ever seen in the series. I mean, raw speed, willing to push to a level that most people wouldn't dare, but it cost him a lot. He crashed a lot and ended up on the ground too many times, and it, in my opinion, was... You know, it, it made his career shorter because he probably got sick of crashing and getting hurt. You know, he broke his femur multiple times. And, and they weren't always his fault, but a lot of them were because he was, he was A, willing to push the issue to in crazy levels. And he got paid a lot of money for that. He won titles. He won races. It paid off for him many times. But it also bit him many, many, many times. Go back. I'll... I'll challenge you to, the, to do this. Go back and look at Trey Kennard's 450 career and look at how many times he raced versus how many times he didn't for scheduled races, right? Between Supercross and Motocross. And you'll be pretty shocked at the numbers. I think it's around 50-50, maybe 
even a little under. I, I don't know. Don't quote me, but it's, it's close. It's in that 60-40, you know, 55-45 range of racing versus not racing, which is crazy. That's a really bad number as far as injuries go. And, uh, you know, I don't think Sexton's there. You know, Sexton's crashes are more often just sliding out or they're not these spectacular crashes that Trey had. But in the end, my point is not everybody figures it out. Not everybody can, can sort out the crashes where you go from a very likely crash in, in a race, you know, like 50-50, you're going to slide out or have a crash during the race to cutting that to, you know, 10%, which is where I'd put Tomac, right? He's maybe 5% of the time he's going to crash where Sexton seems like he's more like 40 to 50. To me, that's the next step Sexton has to take. He's plenty fast. He's on factory equipment. His future and all that is incredibly bright, but he's got to figure out a way to keep that motorcycle on two wheels much more often. I'm not saying you can't ever crash. That's just a part of the game. Like, look at Tomac. He hurt his knee, didn't even crash, right? That's just a part of this sport. But to be a champion and to get to where Sexton wants to be, you got to figure it out. You got to stay on two wheels and you got to cut it to like maybe two crashes a season, you know, and, and in those crashes, you got to get up and still get top 10. <laughs> That's a really heavy ask. I know it's really tough to do that, but guess what? What you're asking to be, you know, 450 Supercross champion, that's also a really tough ask and not many people can do it. Uh, but that, that's really the next step I see for him. Marvin Muscan, another podium. He's, he's very likely or has a chance anyway to get third in points in this series. And he was good all day. Um, you know, I think the whoops were not terribly difficult. So in my opinion, his confidence level goes way up when the whoops are manageable. Doesn't mean he can't hit whoops. That, you know, I, I don't want that to ever seem like it's the case. It's just a vulnerability in his game when the whoops are really tough, right? Other guys know this too. You could see like Jason Anderson, if he ever has to pass Marvin, he'll just wait for it in the whoops and blow by him. Like he, he knows this. He's practiced with Marv a million times when they were at Baker's factory. These guys know each other's strengths and weaknesses really, really well. That's, this is what they do. This is, you know, they're, they're professionals at this all the way around. Uh, but good for Marv. He's been great. You know, he, he only got a Supercross contract. He didn't get paid very much money this year from the team. Like it was a battle to get any, anywhere near the salary he wanted. And, and he didn't succeed in that. Like he took a, a huge pay cut, but he's the only guy that's got a win. Webb hadn't gotten a win and he's getting podiums. So good for him for exceeding expectations. Uh, Webb, you know, I just touched there. You know, I, I I'm kind of saying, eh, cause I don't know what to say. I, I don't know what to make of this. I mean, this was my pick for the Supercross championship. I expected so much more than what he's doing. And I know he's struggling with the bike. I don't know if there are any physical ailments, but I don't think so because he's practicing during the week. You know, typically if you're hurt or you're sick or something's going on, you don't do a lot during the week because you're just letting your body recover. You know, you just want to be at 100% on Saturdays. But that's not what he's doing. So I don't know, man. I, I, I will reserve judgment and just uh, we'll see what happens in 2023 because maybe he'll be more forthcoming after the season. You know, he's not going to race the uh, Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Championship. But this isn't good. Um, he's way off the pace and he's, he's not even competitive with the top couple guys right now. You know, you watch Anderson just pass him like he's a, with ease, like he's a 10th place guy. I mean, he's not even, he's not even worried about Webb when he goes by him. You know, he's not even giving him any respect at all, which is crazy because this is Cooper Webb we're talking about. But you can see it. Like, I'm just watching it. And I, you know, typically when Webb's on, 
guys are like sizing them up, trying to figure it out. Like it's cat and mouse. And like, man, I, I have to make this move and make it stick because he'll get me right back. And he's got all of his bases covered. Webb's typically three moves ahead of you. You know, that none of that is happening right now. Webb is a sitting duck for any of the, the front few to make a pass. Like it's, it doesn't even seem like they really have to try. And that's crazy. I, I don't know what to do with that at all. So you're, gonna, you're on your own with what's going on there. I, I don't have anything to share with you. I'm out of answers for that. Justin Barsha crashed in the main. Um, I didn't really notice him otherwise. I'll, I'll be honest. I know he slid out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of this place for Barsha where he starts out so strong. And then as the season progresses, it just gets a little bit worse. And it's not catastrophic. It's not, you know, because... You could say it's the same as Webb, but it's, it's really not because my expectations aren't the same. I don't think Justin Barsha is going to be your champion where I thought Webb was. But Barsha has this trend each season where it gets a little bit worse as we go. And I don't know if that's a training thing. Like maybe he, he's too ready at the beginning and not peaking towards the end. That, that's a very strong possibility. Uh, or maybe it's the tracks, right? I, I don't think he rides these harder pack tracks as well to get into the salt lakes and the vegases and denver and these types of races and maybe that hurts his uh his results too just because the conditions don't work out for him but there's definitely something his results trend down and when i say down i mean worse uh as the season goes on so that's all i really had on barsha just there wasn't really much kind of to talk about he was kind of invisible out there to me um want to talk about the Dungy news a little bit before we move into uh, MotoGP, but that's cool, right? I mean, we, we got the news for Cairoli, then we get this news on Dungy. We're still waiting on news for Jeffrey Hurlings. It doesn't sound like it's going to happen, but I, I still think personally, my belief is that there's still a chance because from the people I've talked to, if Hurlings wants to do it, if he believes he can make it work and is willing to suffer through some pain and maybe some difficult results at the beginning, just to do this, I think they're going to let him do it. I think that he has so much pull and so much leverage with KTM and Red Bull and these, these sponsors that they're basically saying, hey, you make the call. Can you do it or are you not? We're open to it, um, but you have to make the decision. We can't make it for you. So most riders don't get that ability. They don't generally get to make the decision by themselves. Um, so he's in a pretty... Uh, you know, it's a pretty nice spot there to have that much power over, over his own kind of short-term future. And I think he really wants to do it. And that's why I'm, I'm holding on. Um, Steve Mathis, we did our race review pod. It was kind of like, eh, he's out. Uh, Roger said it's basically not going to happen. I'm not there yet. And, and Steve could absolutely be right. And, and it, I think it's very probable that he's right. The, the percentage is much worse for the fact that he's going to come over. I just don't think he's very healthy. Here's how it's going to happen though. I think if he rides over the next 10 days and he gets a glimmer of hope, he's like, ah, that felt pretty good. I can use this brace. I can suffer through, you know, a 10th place finish at the first round or two, but it's going to get better quickly. He talks to his therapist and his doctors and like, yeah, we're on the right track. You're going to see quick healing from here. Then I think there's a chance. Um, and I'm a hundred percent speculating on that, but that's, the scenario where I could see him showing up. Uh, if he doesn't happen quickly, though, I'm going to say the next 10 days, maybe 14 days, I think you're done. I think it's over. 
you know, he's not going to like start riding the week of the race and show up and go out there. He's not going to do that because he'll get 15th. And, and I don't think that's good for anybody, his psyche or the team or anything like that. Um, he's going to have to be able to train some for the next, you know, we're 27 days out right now. So he really needs to be like bicycling a lot right now, working in the gym. And then if he can only ride for a couple weeks, that's not good, but he would need to be in some sort of progressed physical conditioning to be, have a chance at all. So we'll see. I don't, I don't know, um, how realistic that is, but I will tell you this. My theory is that one of the three does all 12. I know that the PR says that Dungey's doing two, Cairoli's doing two, and there is no mention of hurlings. But my thought is they've given these guys an out. And it's really, it's clever on the part of KTM to do this because if Dungey doesn't do well, doesn't like it, doesn't like the pressure, doesn't want to talk to the media, doesn't want to have to push the pace as hard as he's going to have to, you know, just realizes that he made the right decision by stepping away. No problem, man. You only got to race two. Have a good time. Enjoy it. Results don't matter. Everybody's stoked that you're back. It's fine. And you don't have any pressure, okay? And for Cairo, it's the same. He's always wanted to race here. He's always wanted to come over. This is your opportunity. Zero pressure situation. No one's expecting you to go win. And if it doesn't go well, you don't like the food here. You don't want to be here any longer than that. Maybe you're homesick. Maybe you're, his wife, Jill, is like, you know what? We have a small child and we need to go back to Italy and be, spend more time there. I don't know. I'm just throwing out every possibility. They have this built-in out. And it's not even an out. It's the plan, right? It's the official plan put out by his team and sponsors that they're going to race too. Well, if it goes the other way, and Dungey's on fire and he's loving it. I'm like, man, I'm so happy to be back out here and, and we're going to get better and I'm going to progress throughout the season. Great. You put out a, a PR on, you know, Monday after uh, Hangtown. I'm in for the 12. Let's do this. It's go time. The same thing for Cairoli. Maybe he loves it. Maybe his wife loves Chipotle and they just can't get enough of being over here for the summer. And this is a dream that he's always wanted to do to race all 12 rounds and to visit all these tracks that he's never been to. I think that's very possible, right? I think there's a 100% chance that one of the three races all 12, Hurlings, Cairoli, or Dungey. I don't have any guesses as to who. I would say Cairoli's the most likely. That's my personal opinion because I think the draw for Cairoli to race a series he's never done is a little bit stronger, right? He probably wants to go around and see America and just be on tour across America for the summer and great weather and, and experience all these places that he's always seen and read about and whatever. Like that's a really great opportunity for him to do. You know, he, he's made all the money in the world. He's won nine world championships. Like this is something that he, he always for, you know, I'm trying to think of the right phrase, but he always passed on that opportunity. And I'm sure it was always in the back of his mind. He's like, man, I'd love to race in America sometime. Well, guess what? This is your chance. And no one is going to be upset with you if you get eighth every weekend. Nobody cares. We just want to see him out there. So I think the odds are most likely that Cairoli does all 12. But my, my theory is that one of the three all, does all 12. So let's see how right or wrong I am with that. Uh, I do want to thank the sponsors again, Pirelli Tires. Check out that uh, Scorpion MX32 Midsoft Mini Tire. So all of you, uh, you know, 65 and 85 riders out there, you can throw on 
that MX32 Midsoft and rip hole shots. That's what that tire does. It rips hole shots. I've used it. It is amazing. Pump Creek funding, as you've probably seen, mortgage rates are moving. We are over five in most cases, and they're going to continue to go higher. I've been barking at all of you for two years now to do something about your refi, buy a house, do something because these mortgage rates were at all-time lows. Literally all-time in the history of America, they had never been lower than that. Well, you've missed out on a lot of that. There's still a chance because we're going back. I think we're going to get six, sevens, and eights. That's my prediction. I'm not an economist, but that's what I think is going to happen because I've been there in like 2006, 2007. That's what I was faced with, 8% you know, mortgage interest rate. And you want to go back to the 80s, 1980s, you were paying anywhere from 15 to 20% interest rate, which is insane. That is absolutely insane. But in that context, if you're like, man, I'm not paying five, it's not that bad. Five, I've bought two or three houses in the fives. It's, it's really not, a, it's not overwhelming, but you definitely don't want to let it keep creeping on you. So you need to make a move now. Contact Zach Morris uh, at Plum Creek Funding. He's located in the Denver area. Just saw him this weekend. Actually, didn't get to see him, but he was there. And uh, he, can, he can answer a bunch of questions for you. Guts Racing, check out that RJ Widewing seat. Uh, Rockstar Husky team uses them. Jalik Swole was out there uh, using Guts Racing seat covers and graphics at the Denver Supercross. Tough season for Jalik, but it wasn't the graphics. I can promise you that Guts Racing had his bike looking awesome. So check out Andy Gregg and the crew at Guts Racing. Go to at Guts Racing on Instagram and GutsRacing.com. And uh, yeah, support, uh, support the sponsors of this podcast. Fast Foundry, Robert Carico and the crew, he is, he is a huge privateer supporter. Let's start there. Forget about the business side, which is important. That's why he's sponsoring the podcast. But Robert does so much for privateers, longtime sponsor of Adam and Signap. Like he's, he's helped so many people in this sport. That's reason enough to reach out to Fast Foundry. I always want to give my business to people that are involved, right? Like, why not? Why are you going to reach out to some brand that you Google search? Who cares about them? Support companies that are actively supporting this sport. And if you have a small business, if you work at a big corporation, and maybe they're looking to outsource some help to, uh, you know, like business is going to be hard. Interest rates are climbing through the roof. Like it's going to be a tough environment for business for the next, you know, maybe year or two, maybe longer. You know, inflationary environments are very challenging for growing businesses. Well, you want to make sure that you're as efficient as possible. So reach out to Fast Foundry and fastfoundry.com for more information there. Works Connection, guess what? More hole shots. You see that Hunter Lawrence hole shot? You know what he uses? Pro launch start device. Coincidence? Probably not. I'm not going to say that having a factory Honda and having a talented guy like Hunter Lawrence isn't involved, but I'm just going to say that when you have Chase Sexton and Hunter Lawrence grabbing the hole shot in the main events and they both use pro launch start devices, I'm going to say that's a little bit more than coincidence, okay? We'll leave it there. You can use the promo code JT21 at the checkout and uh, save yourself some money, get a discount, use that Pro Launch Start device. I know a lot of you are going racing this summer. It's, it's springtime. Racing season's breaking out all over the country. So make sure you're getting the whole shot with Pro Launch Start device. Pro Glow Wash, I'm going to do the question of the week here at the very end of the podcast right after this MotoGP section. Uh, you can use the promo code MOTO15 for your Pro Glow Wash, any kind of power sports, UTV, ATV, street bike, dirt bike, whatever. If you got to clean that thing, make sure you're using Pro Glow Wash. It is the absolute best wash for power sports use there is today. Um, it's owned by a, 
giant company called ProAction Fluids. They're very affluent in the uh, in this space, right? They're chemicals, anything like that. This is what they do. They are the experts. They know exactly the formulation to uh, to be the most effective, especially in like weird types of dirt. I, that's what I've always found in my own experience. You go to tracks that you like are literally riding and like, man, this dirt is like oily, or maybe it's like that bright orange Georgia clay. Those are the toughest types of dirt to get off. They stain everything. That's when you really want to have something like Pro Glow Wash. Is uh, it's specially formulated? It's going to work much better than like Simple Green or any of these you know off the shelf type things. Uh, Grandstone Boots had those Grandstone Boots with me. I went actually to Joe Rogan on Friday night. Had a great time. Wore my Grandstone Boots, and that's a great show. If you're if he's ever near you, I cannot recommend that show highly enough. Just hilarious really inappropriate. Okay. I'll say that on the front end, not a show you want to take your child to, but hilarious. Nonetheless, uh, a lot of like, uh, current events type humor, but it's just pure comedy. Um, I had a great time there and, uh, yeah, check out Grandstone boots. And, uh, if you work in an office, I, you know, you have to dress up. Why not wear Grandstone boots? Another moto company fire racing. Of course, my gear of choice. I've been working there for damn near almost 10 years, which is scary and unbelievable at the same time. Uh, but yeah, just, uh, what a great company and what a great place to be fly racing and Western power sports. So Moto GP, what do we see? I had to get up at freaking 5am this morning to uh, take in the festivities. As I mentioned, I got home last night and like literally like passed out into my bed face first, took a shower and then, and then was just out. Cause I was covered in dirt. Remember how dusty it was at uh, Denver. I was down on the floor for the entire entire race. And it was just a dust fest. So I was like, you know, looked like I was, uh, coming out of the desert. Like I just crossed the desert like Moses, um, but took a shower and passed out and then got up at 5am to check out, uh, Hareth. And you wonder why I'm saying it with a TH at the end, because that's how they say it. Now it's spelled J E R E Z, but that's not how they say it at all. It doesn't make any damn sense, but it, uh, it is, it's Hareth silent J. And then instead of Z, they pronounce a th. Uh, that again makes zero damn sense. It it sounds like whoever came up with that had to be drunk and or high to uh, to think that. But that's what it is. And they were there. And this is uh, you know, Spain for MotoGP is the mecca. I, some would argue that Italy is, but I would disagree. I think Spain is uh, holy ground when it comes to MotoGP. You look at where all the stars of the sport are coming out of. They have an incredibly strong uh, kind of amateur scene that's, that brings these riders up and cultivates the youth of that sport up. And the fans just turn out in droves for this event. Uh, it's, it's a really, really popular one. Uh, so as for who won Peko, and, and it has been a horrific, horrific season for Peko Bagnaya. And I go back with Peko a ways. Um, I don't even know if he would know who I am, but when I went to Rossi's place in 2014, uh, I rode with him. He was a kid. And he was pretty damn good. I, I beat him in our time qualifying sessions on flat track and all that stuff. But he was really young, so I, I probably should be expected to beat him. I was only two years retired from you know racing professional supercross. But to see him kind of come through the ranks and now be you know at the at the top of MotoGP is is pretty cool. Um, have always had like a little special bond there just because of that week. And it's been horrific, as I mentioned this year. But today was not. Today was fantastic. He led from wire to wire held off a, uh, a very determined Fabio Quattararo, just never gave him an inch, never gave him an opening, never made a mistake, never cracked the door, 
whatever cliche you want to throw in there. Uh, it was just kind of a perfect race for Pecco. Now the question is, can he turn this around? Uh, as I mentioned, I think I've said horrific three times already. He's just blown it every step of the way. Crashes, injuries, bad races, slow, like off the pace. You name it, Pecco's done it in a bad way this year. And then until it wasn't. I mean, today was fantastic. So I don't, I don't know where this goes from here. You know, do we go back to the Pecco of a month ago or do we see the Pecco of today? That's the question. It may be too far gone for the championship. He would need Fabio to crash quite a bit, in my opinion, uh, which is certainly possible. It, it could happen. I don't expect it to happen. But regardless, Lenovo Ducati has to be thrilled that Pecco is back on form. More than anything else, right? Points or not, championship or not, they want to win races and they, they need their guy out front, and he certainly was today. For Fabio, uh, you know, I, this is contract time. That's like the big story of the pits for MotoGP is does Fabio stay or does Fabio go? I personally think he stays because when I look at the landscape, and I'm not an insider for MotoGP, but when I look at it, where's he going to go? He's, I don't believe that he's going to go to Repsol Honda. I, I don't believe that. I, I'm sure they could come up with the money, but I don't think that's what Mar- Mark Marquez would want. I don't think he has any interest in having Fabio in the other uh, you know, garage stall. So I, I think that's out, even though I'm sure Repsol and Honda have thought about it. I know they've even inquired. Well, I've heard that they've inquired with, with Quartararo, but I, I don't think that gets done. Then I look at Ducati, and I don't think that happens either because I think they keep Bagnaia, and I don't think they're going to go all in with a guy like... They would have to pay Quartararo a ton to get him. And I think they, they believe that their future comes from Bagnaia and Jorge Martin. Those guys, right? I don't think they're going to do it. Now, th- they've gotten crazy before. You know, let's not forget that they went all in on Jorge, Jorge Lorenzo. They paid him like 16 million euros a year. Um, I think that's what the number was. It may have been 12 million euros and 16 million US, something like that. But they made a huge offer and, and accepted by Jorge Lorenzo a few years ago. Remember, they went all in on Val, uh, Valentino Rossi in like 2011, 2010, 2011, whatever year that was. So they've done it before. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. They are known to make a big splash like that. I just don't see it with the talent they have coming up. I don't think they feel like they need to do that. Suzuki, I don't think they can afford it, not for the number that, that Quattararo is going to demand. I just don't think they have the budget to do it. And I don't think Fabio would want to go there anyway. Um, the bike's really good. I just don't think he believes that that's where his best future lies is at Suzuki. Aprilia, I think that's out, right? Budget reasons, equipment reasons. I don't, I, I, that's not even in the realm of possibility, really. So really what's left Um Stand Yamaha. You know, I, I just think it makes too much sense. I think they will probably go in and meet with him and say, hey, we'll do anything you want. We'll pay you top of the market. We'll design the bike entirely around you, custom tailor everything for you and your needs, right? We, don't, we won't care about anybody else and what they want out of the bike. It'll be all about you, but we need you to stay. I think that's what Lynn Jarvis is probably doing, talking with the manager. And he's going to get a huge huge pay increase, which is good for him. Like Mar- Marquez is at the very top. He's got the biggest deal in the history of MotoGP. And for good reason, Marquez is the man, right? His results may not say it, but he's still the man. Uh, you know, 
biggest fan base now with Rossi gone. You know, he's got all these world championships. He is, he's the main reason I watch MotoGP, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that either. So I think Fabio's in the catbird seat with that. He's going to be able to call his own shots, write his own check. Uh, but in the end, I believe he stays at Yamaha. And I also believe he's going to be your 2022 MotoGP world champion. So good for him. Um, and today was just a really solid day. Gets second, racks up the points, extends his points lead all the things that you would want to be doing. And he is going to be a very, very wealthy man here very soon. Alicia Spargo, I mean, what a ride, right? I'm not a huge Alicia fan. Uh, I, I don't know what it is. Like, it's just kind of his demeanor and he like flies off the handle all the time. But I don't dislike him either, but I definitely have never found myself cheering for Alicia. So I, I was happy for him. Like, I, I don't hold anything against him. But I just kind of shrug my shoulders when he does good or he does bad. Um, it's just not, you know, my guy that I ever cheer for. But I am impressed with how good they have gotten. Now, I am curious to see with the concessions being taken away, how that affects them. Um, I'm not smart enough with the technical aspects of MotoGP to know how big of a difference that will make. But it's something I want to learn more about. But they did uh, cross the threshold today that their concessions uh, for Aprilia overall will be taken away. So just something to watch for there. Marquez, okay, right? I mean, he got fourth. I thought he made the most of what his bike was going to give him. You know, if you watched Q2, which I watched on the plane ride home last night, you could see how much he was struggling. He was just wringing that bike out for everything it was worth. He followed Bagnaya around in, uh, in qualifying, just trying to get a decent lap, right? He, he couldn't even stay with Pecco, he, but he did. I mean, he was moving heaven and earth to try to go with him. So I think to get a fourth, you know, you look at the results around him, like Nakagami and Paul Espargaro and all those guys, they were nowhere even competitive. So that shows you what, the, what Mark was up against with the bike. And I thought he kind of rode beyond the bike's limit, and that's why he was able to get fourth. You know, you put a lesser skilled guy on it, and it looks more like eighth or tenth. But that's what makes Mark Marquez Mark Marquez. He is, he is that guy. And he's going to win races this year. Wait till we go to Socks and Ring. Wait till we go to these tracks where that bike really works. And he's either going to win or he's going to be in the mix to win, right? Maybe he crashes, maybe he gets beat at the very end. But he will be a threat to win those races the way he's progressing. You can see his fitness getting better. You can see his confidence coming back. And uh, in my opinion, it's just a matter of time for Marquez. Jack Miller, you know, that's, if I had someone I was going to call a friend in that paddock, as far as a rider, it would be Jack Miller, right? I've spent time with him. I've hung out with him lots of supercrosses. I've gotten him tickets to supercrosses. I've been to lots of dinners with him and all kinds of stuff. He's just a really nice guy. He's a huge supercross fan. And uh, it's certainly someone that I'm rooting for all the time. And I mean, he got a fifth, right? He's battling with Marquez the whole damn time, which if you're battling with Marquez the whole race, that's pretty good right? Just as a general statement, that's something that like you can hang your hat on is like you come in and like review the race and you're like, damn, Marquez here and there and battle. Like overall your most years, you're going to be okay and find yourself on factory equipment. If that's, you know, that's your, your conversation after the race. So fifth place isn't bad. And I think that's really the difference for Jack is when things are good and he can battle for the podium. Great. But when things aren't good, get a fifth right? That's, that's where he needs to be. That's to me, the next step. And I, you know, I was talking about Chase Sexton's evolution, like where 
do you need to go to from here? For me, that's where Jack Miller needs to go to. He needs to turn the good, you know, keep the good days, you know, the wet tracks and all the, all your strengths. Great. Keep excelling there. But on the bad days, don't DNF, don't take out Joanne Mir, don't get 15th, get fifth, get seventh. Those are acceptable. And at the end of the year, when you look up and you're thinking about the points, there's going to be a drastic difference in your championship championship positioning if you can do all those things. Last note is on uh, Alex Renz before we get into the moto, the uh, pro glow question of the week. What a disastrous uh, disaster of a day. The qualifying's killing him, right? You look back a week ago in Portimao, in Portugal, he qualifies 23rd. He busts his butt to get to fourth. I mean, what a just tremendous effort a week ago to get to fourth. And then you flash forward to this weekend, digs another hole in qualifying. I mean, terrible qualifying effort. And then this is what happens most of the time is you can't do anything with it. And you have a horrible day and you finish out of the points because you put yourself in such a bad spot that you have to put in like the ride of your life to, uh, to kind of get anything out of. That's not going to happen all the time. You're not like, those are the outlier days when you can fix such a horrible starting position. Days like today are more likely where maybe you get a point or two, or maybe you get taken out by somebody, you know, because you're trying to pass 20 riders over the course of the race. Um, so I, I mean, Ren's effectively shot his, you know, championship chances in the foot today, you know, dropped back to third in the championship from second and uh, just a really, really tough day to swallow for Renz. And I, remember, he's a Spanish rider, a Spanish GP. Like, those are the days that you live for, your home, you know, your home GP. And to get last or whatever was close to it is uh, not exactly what you're looking for. So the ProGlo question of the week, um, I kind of uh, spilled the candy in the lobby, as uh, one of my coworkers would say. But the question is, it's from uh, Garvey Jean-Louis. I don't know if that he's... French or maybe from Quebec, but his question is, will Mark Marquez and Fabio Quattararo change seats soon? And I answered this already a little bit, but just to kind of recap, I don't believe so. One, I don't think Yamaha is willing to pay Marquez 25 million a year, which is what he gets right now, which is insane, right? That's, that's crazy money. I don't think Yamaha is willing or able to pay him that much. They just don't. They don't have the money, right? Repsol had to step up huge, I'm sure, to get that deal done. Further, Fabio is not Spanish. Repsol is a Spanish petroleum company. That's a huge deal, right? Having a Spanish eight-time world champion on a Spanish title sponsor team is a big deal. And that, that's a big reason why they were willing to spend whatever it took to get Marquez. Fabio's French. That's that. I'm not saying that Repsol wouldn't want him. I'm just saying they're not going to pay him that same deal and Yamaha vice versa. Yamaha doesn't have the Spanish petroleum company of Repsol willing to step up and pay Marquez 25 million a year. And they have, you know, Honda has Repsol saying you better not lose Marquez no matter what. So I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I know there's been some talk in the pits of like, Fabio coming over, does Mark stay because he's not happy with the Honda? That was a, I think that's a real thing. Like Mark's kind of like, man, this bike's not very good. Should I leave? Like, should I tell Honda, like, keep your money, I'm going elsewhere? I don't know if they'd let him out or not. But that's, I think those are real conversations. I just don't think 
that they will actually happen. I think it's just a lot of bench racing and a lot of uh, a lot of fodder. I think it makes too much sense for Honda to keep a B-level guy, a, a Spargaro, a Jack Miller, somebody like that. Keep a number two option, somebody that gets along with Mark, that can get decent results. Doesn't mean they can't win. Pole won the first race of the year. But be in contention without threatening Mark. That's what, that's what I believe they want. And for Yamaha, they're going to do all they can to keep Fabio. He's the right fit. They can't afford Mark. So they're just going to go all in to keep Fabio at whatever number they can afford and get, get uh, Fabio to agree to. So thank you, Garvey Jean-Louis. And uh, I will reach out to you and put you in contact with uh, the Pro Glow guys, Pro Glow guys to, uh, to get that prize dialed in. So that's it for this week. Went a little long, a little longer this week. That's all right. I'm, uh, I'm a happy guy to be home. Um, very busy, as I mentioned, time's coming up. But uh, yeah, one more round of Supercross, couple weekends off of racing, and then straight into Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next Sunday. See you.